Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Mayor Andrea Horvath says Hamilton won't budge on its final offer to HSR workers. Also on the show, honoring our veterans and active military members. IBD, experiential learning, and previewing an Argo Suck mega party. It's true. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. A lot of pressure in the community, that is for sure, because the strike at the HSR is in its second day with more than 800 drivers and maintenance staff and others on the picket line. We're just doing this so that we can get the city around and we love our passengers. We love our employers. We love everybody, but we just want to be able to make it. I can, I don't have any money in my bank account after my two-week paycheck, period. That is uh, HSR driver Cassie Feeker on the picket line yesterday. Also yesterday, Hamilton's mayor said, quote, the city's final offer is reasonable and will not change. Joining us now is Hamilton's mayor, Andrea Horvath. Andrea, thanks for joining us this morning. My pleasure, Rick. Good morning. It sounds like the city, according to you, is, is not going to change the offer, not going to budge from its final offer. Why is that? Uh, because it's a fair and reasonable offer. Uh, it's an offer that's reflective of the offer that was um, accepted by the uh, last union that we negotiated with. Uh, and uh, that's QP, of course, uh, almost 3,000 QP workers in Hamilton. Uh, and it's uh, it's something that brings the bus drivers to about eighty thousand dollars at the end of uh, of the contract, and that's a reasonable situation considering at this point in time they're uh, third highest paid in the comparator municipalities around us, and at the end of it they will still be the third highest paid. Uh, the only two higher paid municipalities in terms of our bus drivers or in terms of bus drivers or transit workers, more accurately, uh, is uh, Mississauga and Brampton. Does that mean the negotiation is over, or is there still some room for some financial give and take? Well, you know, we've uh, we've been really clear with the uh, with the union that um, we're happy to go back to the bargaining unit at any time. Uh, but we are also trying to be responsible, and 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 I have to say, council is is solid. There's unanimity on council uh, in terms of uh, our uh, commitment to make sure that the the deal is fair, which is, we believe it is. Uh, that it's reasonable, which we know that it is, uh, and that um, and that we we're happy to have further conversations. But we bargained for a very long time uh, and had um, a real difficult time getting the union to understand uh, the um, you know the city situation. So you know me, I'm uh, somebody who very much believes in the collective bargaining process, very much believes in the uh, the value of of organized labor and what it brings to its members. But there has to be reasonableness. And when we see our city struggling with so many cost pressures right now, like everyone, don't get me wrong, I know what people are going through right now in our community. It's hard. Uh, and the strike makes it harder. Makes it harder for the transit workers, makes it harder for Hamiltonians. Uh, but we have to be responsible uh, and thoughtful, not only about uh, fairness in terms of the uh, uh, this particular round of bargaining, but fairness to all of the unions. That, that to represent working people uh, for, for the city of Hamilton. And, and there's about 11 of them. And so this will impact all of those as well. Uh, and that's why we're, uh, we're definitely firm in terms of the financial offer. And, and I know the union had hoped that this, the, the football game was going to be, um, you know, an, an issue and it would put the pressure on the community and on, on the city. Uh, but, but I think it's pretty clear that uh, uh, that, that festival and, and, and that great cup is going to be fantastic. Uh, I had hoped that we would have a deal by then. It's still possible, and I'm still hopeful. 
but uh, that festival is going to be fantastic. The union leadership has complained about big raises to non-union city staff that aren't on the front lines and earn a lot more money. What do you say to that? Uh, well, I, I think it's really clear that the um, union is uh, is misrepresenting uh, that uh, adjustment. The uh, the money that's that was um, utilized in that adjustment was for the vast majority of people were they were city clerks, they were uh, they were receptionists, they were admin staff, mostly largely women uh, women's jobs, frankly. And we know that there's been a gender wage gap for a very long time. But just in terms of the context. Um, most of those people, uh, well, in fact, the reason we actually had to do that is because folks were at the 50th percentile. So remember I said 83 percentile is where the, the, the transit workers are. They're at the top. Uh, there's only 80, there are 83 percentile of all uh, transit workers in the comparators. Uh, and that means there's 83 percent of people are below them in wages and only 17 percent are higher than them in, in wages. But with with our workers that needed these uh, uh, increases, we were below, well below 50 percent. And we have a policy that says our non-union workers should be at at least the 50th percentile. Uh, This brings them to the 50th percentile, and immediately it has almost cut in half our problems with retention. People were lo- we were losing people to other municipalities because we, we weren't paying enough. Uh, and, and so with the 50th percentile, that means they're literally in the middle of the pack. They're not at 83 percentile, they're at 50 percentile. And so I don't, I don't think that that was a, a mistake at all. And I, I, I'm, I'm a little disappointed, actually, uh, that this is being used uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a in this conversation when it's really, really clear that it was largely women workers severely underpaid uh, and a necessary bump to be able to maintain our policy of at least the 50th percentile for these workers. We're in day two of the HSR strike and we're in discussion with Hamilton Mayor Andrea Horvath on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Uh, Yesterday, some striking HSR workers picketed outside City Hall and at one point were chanting your name, basically heckling you. Are you surprised this has already become personal? You know what? Uh, the unions uh, are going to use whatever they uh, they think that they can to motivate their members and to keep the spirits high on the picket line. I, I get those things. I've been around for a long time. Um, so it, am I surprised? Not not at all. I mean, these are the things that happen. I don't take them personally. Um, I'm doing a job. It's a it's a it's a lot of pressure, as your uh, opening song indicated. Uh, but I have to do the right thing by the entire city, uh, and, and not only for this moment in time, but going forward. And, and just one last thing in terms of the money, uh, the the existing uh, offer uh, would add about $17 million uh, uh, to, the, um, uh, to the city costs if we were to um, go with what the union wanted. Uh, so our, ours is about 12.75% over the um, over the lifetime of the deal. Uh, theirs is about 23% over the lifetime of the deal, what they want. Um, but at 23%, as opposed to $17 million, it would cost the city uh, closer to $113 million uh, because it would, ha- it would impact every other uh, negotiation that we still have ongoing. And that, that's just not tenable. It would jack up taxes unbelievably and it would force us to jack up fares as well. We've invested a lot of money in the transit system. We we love public transit. This council thinks public transit is absolutely needing to expand uh, and to become more robust uh, for the people of Hamilton as Hamilton grows. Uh, 
and, and we want to make sure that that's done in a way that's um, you know that, that keeps our system going, as I said, but also uh, enables us to uh, to provide services and, and to pay workers fairly and reasonably, which is uh, which is what our, our proposal does. I know I'm going to go a little bit over time here, but I want to ask you this question, and we'll have about a minute or so, but we've been told that the HSR strike will not impact darts. I've heard from some people in the accessible community that some might cheat the system and get on a darts vehicle. Will there be some increased monitoring to prevent that? Uh, well, I mean, I don't have the detail of, uh, of the... Um of the process in terms of, of darts, but I do know that uh, darts is uh, organized or the, the workers in darts are are, um, are from a different union, and so they're not going to be impacted by this strike. Uh, but look, people are going to be trying to find solutions, and that's what makes these things so hard. Uh, it's going to be hard on the community. I know that. And so we didn't take that light, lightly when we uh, decided that we were going to stay firm on our final offer. And just another quick thing, the, the union was asking us for the final offer. Sometimes they make it sound like, oh, the city just slapped a final offer down. That's not what happened. Uh, they were asking us for the final offer so that they could trigger the strike right around the CFL, or rather the Grey Cup game. And so, and that's fine. That's a tactic that they use. I just want to make sure that people know that there are, there are facts uh, that are important in this scenario. Uh, and, uh, and I'm going to stick with the facts because that's what I believe people deserve. Madam Mayor, always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Andrea Horvath is the mayor of the city of Hamilton, basically saying the deal that the union wants, the city simply can't afford. We'll get more on this in the days and who knows, maybe even weeks to come. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Remembrance Day is upon us. There are numerous ceremonies being held to commemorate those who sacrificed for the freedom that we have today. Uh, We have ceremony at the downtown Cenotaph at Gore Park, uh, Stony Creek at Cenotaph Park, at the Cenotaph at the Ancaster Old Town Hall at the Cenotaph at the Royal Canadian Legion Branch 551 in Waterdown, Dundas Cenotaph at the Dundas Lions Memorial Community Centre, as well as the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum in Mount Hope, also with its annual Remembrance Day service. So many places for you to go and honour those who fought for our freedom. Major Chris Waddy is a Deputy Commanding Officer with the Royal Hamilton Light Infantry, which was established in 1862. It's the oldest infantry regiment in the Hamilton-Burlington area that fought in both world wars, the Korean War, served in the former Republic of Yugoslavia, Kuwait, the Congo, Sierra Leone, Haiti, and Afghanistan. Major Waddy, uh, thanks for joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton. How are you? Good morning. What are you going to be reflecting on this Remembrance Day? It's it's important to remember. I think the, the so many Canadian soldiers in two world wars and 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 in Korea and in operations since that that lost their lives, as as you said, so we can enjoy our freedoms. When and when we see um, we we look at what what's happening in the world today in the in the Middle East and Ukraine. One of the the reasons Canadian soldiers go overseas is so we we see the how devastating it can be to have a war fought in your backyard, and one of the reasons we go overseas and we have soldiers overseas now uh, is to ensure that that never happens in Canada that Canadians never have to suffer 
the devastation and, and, and effects of, uh, of war overseas. You mentioned those two conflicts, the war in Ukraine, which has been going on for a while now, and certainly the war in Gaza, which is much more fresh as it had just basically begun. While Canadian troops are not directly involved in, in each of those conflicts, this is still a very sensitive time. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it, it's, it's clearly the world's, uh, the world's not a very safe place these days. Um, can, and Canadian soldiers are, are here. We serve in uniform to keep Canadians safe, if, if only to help ensure that wars don't get fought uh, in Canada, because we can see what happens. And, um, we, we do have, we aren't in Ukraine, uh, but we do have soldiers deploying on uh, what we call Operation Unifier, which is helping train and support the Ukrainian army. In fact, uh, I'm going to be deploying overseas uh, in the new year to, to, to help with that as well. What are your plans for, for when you get out there? Is, it, is, is this just a training aspect? Yeah, this is training the, the Ukrainians and, uh, and, and, and supporting their armed forces. Uh, we have uh, the, the Royal Hamilton Light Infantry has had over the past 10 or 15 years hundreds of soldiers that have gone overseas. Mm-hmm. And they're all reservists who put aside their school, put aside their, their uh, careers uh, for for up to a year in some cases, uh, to go over and, and serve the country. Well, we certainly uh, thank you for doing so and wish you the best of luck on that trip. And and that really points to the fact that, you know, Remembrance Day is much more than honoring our war dead, who did tremendous uh, amount of sacrifice back in, in the First and the Second World War and the Korean War and the other conflicts. But there are many current people such as yourself serving in the armed forces to keep us safe. And I think that we shouldn't lose sight of that on this Remembrance Day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I lost friends uh, in, in Afghanistan, and, and they'll certainly be in, in my thoughts uh, tomorrow at the Remembrance Day ceremonies. And, and I know that uh, all of our soldiers know someone who's been affected one way or the other, one, one soldier. And it, it's so important uh, that they that they not be forgotten, uh, that we all remember the, the people who made the ultimate sacrifice. As you said in uh, two world wars, I mean, 67,000 Canadians, more than 67,000 Canadians lost their lives in the First World War alone, which is just uh, an enormous number. But even in Afghanistan, we lost more than 100, 100 guys as well. So this this is this isn't something that happened 100 years ago. This is it's important to remember that this is happening now, it's happening today, and, and, and we need to remember our fallen. Absolutely. Major Chris Waddy is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Major Waddy is a deputy commanding officer with the Royal Hamilton Light Infantry. The Rileys here in Hamilton, and they'll be a big part of uh, tomorrow's Remembrance Day ceremonies uh, across the city. Uh, we've we've heard that the number of um, applicants to to join the armed forces has has dwindled over the last little while. Is that the case in Hamilton as well? Well. COVID-19, the pandemic really, really hurt everyone, I think, uh, and, and the Canadian Forces is no exception. But what we've noticed is that the numbers are starting to go up. We're seeing more and more uh, pe- people signing up to, uh, to join the Rileys. Uh, so th- there, there was a big dip during the pandemic, but it started to come back. What is the big draw of the Rileys? Steeped in tradition, uh, heroics on the battlefields. Uh, why join the Rileys? Give give us your pitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a great adventure uh, joining joining the Canadian Army. 
you get to see parts of the world, you get to do things that you just can't do in any other uh, profession. And it's, it's, it's such an enormous challenge. And, and the Rileys in particular, we pride ourselves on sending our, our soldiers o- overseas. Uh, we have uh, almost a dozen soldiers uh, overseas now. In fact, one of them is going to be coming back in a, in a couple of days. And uh, our, we send Rileys on operations. Rileys go overseas, Rileys do the business. And it's a huge part of this community and a huge part of the history of the Canadian Armed Forces. And Major Wadi, we thank you for your service, and we'll be thinking about you and many others on Remembrance Day. Thanks for the time this morning. Thanks for having me. Major Chris Wadi, Deputy Commanding Officer at the Royal Hamilton Light Infantry. Support them not only tomorrow, but all year long. And uh, think of the troops, certainly tomorrow, that lost their lives and, and paid that ultimate sacrifice. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Remembrance Day is tomorrow, and it is vitally important, vitally important that we never forget the men and women who fought for our freedom. And in my opinion, a big part of that is sharing what happens with our younger generations and to even ourselves continue to learn because there are really an endless amount of stories that display the sacrifice that was made by so many. Craig Baird is the host of Canadian History X. It's an awesome podcast. You can now hear it weekday or weekends here on 900 CHML. And Craig joins us now on GMH. Craig, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You've done a number of podcasts on Canada's history in war. There, there's Canada in World War One, Canada's Great War, Canadian battles. And I'm sure in that you've done a lot of research about our war history. Is there a, a war story or two that really resonates with you the most? Well, there's a few. I mean, Canada's had kind of a long war history going back to the Boer War and then, you know, up to Korea and then to Afghanistan as well. Uh, one that definitely stands out for me is the Battle of Kap Yong, which happened in Korea. We tend to kind of forget about Korea, but we did have, you know, thousands of people who served in Korea. We had about 500 who didn't make it home. But the Battle of Kap Yong was, you know, this very important battle with the Princess Patricia's Light Infantry in 1951. And uh, it was at Hill 677, and it actually involved essentially the Canadians holding off the Chinese and protecting this hill and protecting Seoul, Korea from being overrun. And and we actually did it. And it was a very important battle where uh, we were actually honored by the Americans for our service in, in protecting this hill and and protecting, you know, many, many troops who were behind the behind the lines. So I think that's one really important battle that uh, just tends to kind of fall behind the wayside with things like Dieppe and D-Day and Vimy Ridge. You make a good point because I think a lot of the attention, and probably rightfully so, would be on the First and Second World War. It involved so many other nations. They were obviously cataclysmic in terms of the death toll, but things like the Korean War, the the Afghanistan War, I mean, these these things mattered as well, and it was our men and women who were on the front lines in those battles as well. Absolutely. And even the Boer War, I mean, 267 Canadians did die in the Boer War. That was kind of our first real major foray into international conflict. And, you know, even before Remembrance Day and all of that, uh, we were honoring the dead from the Boer War before the First World War. And again, it's it's the First World War and Second World War that are kind of the the big names that they, they get the most notice. But Canadians have been serving for for over a century in various wars. 
Craig Baird is the host of Canadian History X and is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. By the way, you can check out the podcast online at CanadaEHX.com. When you are compiling these podcasts, and it's, it's a really great listen, I mean, the stories are phenomenal. Have you ever had an idea where, and you're going down a path, and all of a sudden you discover something and think, wow, this is even more amazing? Uh, absolutely, I have. It actually, it isn't war related, but I was doing an episode on the history of Ottawa's timber trade. And as I was doing research, I started to learn more and more about the Shriners War, which was kind of uh, a mini gang war in very, very early Ottawa between the Irish workers and the French Canadian workers. And it was way more interesting than the actual timber trade that I was writing about. So I scrapped everything I was writing about that <laughs> and focused completely on the Shiner's War. So you do have that occasionally where you're starting to write something and you're like, wow, well, this is much more interesting than what I was going to talk about. And that becomes the focus of what, you're, what, what the episode is going to be. Yeah. How much time had you invested in the original thought before you switched gears? I would say probably about a week, and then I was like, wait, this is much better. <laughs> <laughs> what other topics and uh, people have you recently tackled in the podcast? Oh, I've, I've tackled uh, many different things. Uh, this coming Tuesday, I have the uh, Chilcotin War, which happened in the 1860, which was kind of an, uh, an uprising by the Chilcotin people as the uh, road was being built through their territory. Just this past week, I talked about Pierre Burton, who was a major influence on my own uh, storytelling and how I present history. Uh, the Dion Quintuplets, the hilarious House of Frightenstein. In a couple of weeks, I have the Black Donnellys that I'm talking about. Wow, that's uh, phenomenal stuff. Looking forward to hearing much of that on CanadaEHX.com and, of course, Canadian History X, which you can hear right here on 900 CHML. Craig, thanks for the time. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks, you too. Craig Barrett is the host of Canadian History X. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I want to shine a light on Crohn's and colitis because November... Is Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Month. Nearly 12,000 Canadians, did not know this, nearly 12,000 Canadians will be diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease by the end of this year. That's a lot of people. Simon Pan is a medical student at McMaster University and an IBD scholarship recipient and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Simon, good morning. How are you? Hi, Eric. I'm doing amazing. Thanks for having me. Your story is really an amazing one. I read your your, your blog or your letter about... Your experience, I want you to, to share your story with our listeners. How did this all come about? Sure, absolutely. So it's a bit of a long story. I would say it started uh, about at the end of middle school and when I started feeling not quite right. So I started waking up every day, um, kind of having these stomach cramps, feeling a bit out of it. And the symptoms started spiraling, uh, getting worse and worse, you know, just this constant... Um, this constant pain uh, every morning and towards high school is when I actually got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Um, and it was really, really just kind of uh, a, a whirlwind of a time in my life, uh, having to deal with all these symptoms, having to kind of really change the way that I was living, um, being put onto a personal diet, uh, having to take a break from a lot of the hobbies that I was into in high school, taking a break from athletics and things like that to kind of just take care of my own health. Um, but I think it's a, it's definitely a journey that's really transformed me and the, the way that I am. Were there, was this running in the family? Is it hereditary? What kind of research did you do when, once you, you know, you got that diagnosis? 
Yeah, so it, it usually is a hereditary, well, there is some genetic component to Crohn's disease, but actually for me, I'm the only one in my family who's uh, actually been diagnosed with it. And in terms of research, a lot of it had to do with trying to understand ways that I could try to control it. So, of course, there's like medical therapy that you can go on, uh, but there's also things that you can do uh, to try to control it yourself. Things like trying to build a personal diet that works for you because the disease really manifests differently for, for everyone. Hmm. You mentioned that uh, during uh, your your school uh, age days in middle school, once you received that diagnosis, you had to change a lot of things. What was the biggest change that you had to do? Yeah, absolutely. So I think for me, um, it was definitely taking a break from a lot of the foods that I really enjoyed. Uh, so for for a long time, I really cut out a lot of things went to the Bayer basics, just eating whole foods, never eating out, um, cutting down on a lot of sugar, a lot of fats, a lot of even foods with yeast. So I was just really eating like the same thing every single day. And for a long time, it was really, really monotonous. Mm. Uh, my friends didn't really understand why I could never, you know, go out with them, hang out, go, go eat out. Uh, but I think for me, it really, really helped in trying to gain back control over over my condition. How has your circle of friends now come around to the fact that, hey, you have, you know, Crohn's and and you're not able to do the things that they are able to do in terms of food? Yeah, absolutely. I think they've all become really, really understanding about it. And, you know, we, we kind of like do a lot of the things to accommodate me, which I'm really grateful for. Sometimes we'll just, you know, have a night where we hang out and we we, we try to make recipes that are geared towards things that I can eat. We've even made things like yeast-free pizza, which was really, really fantastic. So it, it doesn't have to be, you know, constantly going out to eat things. We, and we really tried to do things that, you know, can include me as well, which I'm really, really grateful for. That's really cool. November is Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Month. And uh, inflammatory bowel disease um, uh, will be uh, diagnosed by nearly 12,000 Canadians will be diagnosed with this. Uh, Simon Pan was a few years ago, he's now a medical student at McMaster University and an IBD scholarship recipient. I'll ask you about the scholarship just in a minute, but I want to get to the the triggers because not everyone is the same in this regard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the triggers can really, really vary for a lot of people. For me, I found that food is a big one, just like I mentioned before. So just, uh, different foods I found can really, really cause flare-ups for me. Um, so things that are really, really high in fats or sugar, so fatty foods, anything with yeast in them. And then also, I find that for me, stress is a really, really key player. And I think it's really important as a, a medical student um, to really learn how to deal or cope with that. You know, I've had a lot of the times when during undergrad, having to write exams. And I remember the very first time going into an exam, feeling super, super stressed out of my mind and really feeling the effects of that um, in the washroom later on. So it's really, really important uh, for me to really find ways to kind of cope with that. Let's talk about the IBD scholarship uh, that you have received. Uh, wh what kind of impact is this having on, on your life and on your studies? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so really going back to that whole stress thing, I think that for me, the IBD scholarship has been monumental in, in alleviating that. I think obviously medical studies are really, really expensive. The tuition is is a lot to deal with. And for me, I, I don't come from a wealthy background at all. And so trying to come up with ways to finance my education has been really, really, really 
uh, a source of stress for me. And I think that the IBD scholarship has been a huge, huge uh, help and a way to relieve that stress for sure. Well, and obviously well-deserved. Here's a, a, an individual that uh, is not de uh, defined by your diagnosis, making some great strides, and I'm sure one day going to make a huge impact in this community or, or wherever you apply yourself. Simon, thanks for the time today. Good luck going forward. Thank you so much for having me, Rick. Simon Pan is a medical student at McMaster University and an IBD scholarship recipient. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. For one final time this week, it's our IEC series. We're profiling the Industry Education Council of Hamilton all week long, and today we're focusing on experiential learning and workforce development. They certainly go hand in hand. Without one, well, I mean, we could probably still have workforce development, but this experiential hands-on learning, a vital component to getting students into the workplace and really seeing what needs to be seen and how applications are done and how uh, a, a company or an organization does what they do. Race Morgan is the executive director of the Industry Education Council of Hamilton. Sean Martin is the director of operations with Reimer Construction. And Aaron Simon is the director of people and culture at Carmen's Group. Race, Sean, Aaron, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Good morning. Morning. Hey, we got a hat trick. Aaron, we'll start with you. The IEC mm -hmm. and its impact on employee discovery. What does that mean to you in terms of finding those future workers? Yeah, I think for us, you know, hospitality, we are definitely in need of new people in the industry. So we're trying to get a passion for it at a young age. And they've been able to connect us with students as, uh, you know, we're trying to advertise uh, future careers, but as well as we have a large uh, part-time workforce that is mainly made up of students. So the IEC has definitely helped bridge that gap and showcase what Carmen's has to offer in terms of part-time employment, um, co-op opportunities, as well as uh, full-time careers in the future. Sean, from a skilled uh, workforce, we know that there are some severe shortages in this community, in this province, in this country when it comes to that regard. How important is this partnership and, and is it as important as ever before? Absolutely. I mean, in, in the construction industry and skilled trades, we've been experiencing a mass exodus of sort of the boomer generation retiring out without new trades people, people coming into the industry. And so really it's it's vital that we uh, spread the word about the opportunities in the construction industry, um, reach people before they've started down their career paths and, so that we can, you know, address those shortages. Sean, are we past the stigma stage? There's, there's always kind of been that stigma that, you know, the, the blue collar workforce, you don't want to get into that. You know, you want to be white collar, you want to wear a suit and tie to work, forget about the trades. Is is that stigma done? That's what we're working to to unwind here. Um, really, that's the the key to unlocking that untapped workforce is to educate about the opportunities in construction. Reese, it's got to be amazing. We've had some awesome discussions this week, but it's got to be amazing to look throughout this city and have such a diverse economy that students can look at Reimer Construction. They can look at Carmen's Group. They can look at you know the various other partners we we uh, learned from this week and have so many options. I think it's just uh, crucial or an understanding too that, it, and it's interesting that uh, we have hospitality and we have construction on today. And somebody would put those two sectors in an isolation, but the idea being that obviously you need that construction to build things. And just looking ahead, you're talking about building that entertainment center right downtown. You're talking about restaurants. You're talking about uh, uh, offshoots, uh, um, things that go along with that. So the sectors are all intertwined, and it's vital that we sort of all work together 
all our guests this week realizing that, that if we don't do these things together and get more people on board, then we will be in a, in a dire shortage situation and, and things won't be able to grow. Our guests on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Reese Morgan, the Executive Director of the Industry Education Council of Hamilton. Sean Martin is with Reimer Construction and Aaron Simon with Carmen's Group. And we're focusing all week long on uh, the great things that happen with the Industry Education Council of Hamilton and the numerous partners that they have in this community. Aaron, back to you. We, we, we talked with Sean about the shortage of skilled tradespeople in this community. There's also been a shortage of hospitality workers magnified since the pandemic. Have we turned the corner in that regard? I I think we have to some degree, but even prior to the pandemic, there was still an exodus of those skilled trades in the culinary field. You know, I don't think a lot of people think of chefs as a skilled trade necessarily in line with construction, but it is, it's hard job. It's, it's odd hours. You can't work from home. So you really have to build that passion for loving good hospitality, loving service, um, and loving food to really want to stick it through this industry and grow within it. And that's where we're trying to start with the students is building that passion, letting them see that it can be so fulfilling and so rewarding. And there's so many exciting things to come in hospitality, especially in Hamilton. What are some of those exciting things? I mean, Carmen's group is one of the pillars in this community in terms of entertainment and destination points. What are the big opportunities ahead? I think we're trying to really put Hamilton more on the map. It's really become a food scene, trying to make it a destination, you know, competing with Toronto, Niagara Falls and making Hamilton the hub for a lot of good entertainment, great restaurants. um, And that's already on the way. And with the new arena and everything, it's just going to keep going up and up. So hoping to drive um, more people to want to be a part of that for their career course. And uh, it's just going to make a really great impact for both job seekers as well as the the residents of Hamilton. Sean, this past year, Hamilton recorded $2 billion in construction permits. Does that speak to the opportunity that is within the construction industry? Yeah, and I would say that it's just the beginning. Um, Hamilton's really coming into a renaissance. We had built the first high rise in Hamilton in over 20 years and back in 2012. And each year, the number of projects has doubled and then some. And um, really, as our economy sort of shifts, the opportunities are, are ever growing. Reese, final thoughts to you as we wrap up this week-long series profiling the Industry Education Council of Hamilton. Where does the IEC and where do you think this city is going in terms of experiential learning, putting people in work placements and enhancing that workforce development? Well, that experiential learning really starts off at a very early age. It's exposure to understanding that uh, even in kindergarten, the idea of what careers and potential out there, we know full well that students are not going to be making decisions as far as their lifelong plan. mentioned about the chef. I'm a chef by trade. The idea that you don't know where your path will will, will take you. So those early exposure, and that's where our called arms for from uh, industry and from the community to really get involved with us uh, and, and, and industry to make sure that we've got opportunities, whether that be shadowing, twinning, uh, mentoring is a crucial part of it. Understanding the idea that as people are leaving, that knowledge train is going to be crucial. So we want to make sure that that's passed on to the upcoming workforce for the next while. And you're talking about things that are already in place within high schools, co-op, uh, experiential learning in the forms of dual credits, OYAP, high skills majors, All of those are preparatory, getting them ready. But we need people to come on board and join us like Aaron, like like Sean are. 
Uh, more details online, ieChamilton.ca. The future certainly looks bright with the Industry Education Council of Hamilton and partners like Reimer Construction, Carmen's Group, and all the others that we profiled this week. Reese, Sean, Aaron, thanks for the time this morning. Have a fantastic weekend. Thank you you. very much, Rick. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Sucks to be an Argos fan because the Argos suck. And to that end, the Corktown is hosting an Argos suck mega party tonight. Not just a party, a mega party. It's featuring B.A. Johnston, Lee Reed, Moonlight Desires. Should the Argos make it to the Grey Cup in Hamilton? Organizers have also promised to put a hex on the Toronto Argonauts. I love it. Lou Molinaro is an instructor at Durham College and the Harris Institute for Music and is putting on this show at the Corktown. Lou, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on your show. What's going on tonight? Sounds like a lot of fun is going to be had at this mega party. Uh, It's actually happening next Friday. Oh, next Friday. Oh, my gosh. I got the dates completely wrong. Yeah, it's uh, during the uh, Grey Cup weekend uh, here in Hamilton. So talk about the hex. How is that going to (laughs) work? Well, you know, B.A., for, for for your listeners who are not familiar with B.A. Johnson, he is a Canadian singer-songwriter born here in Hamilton, and um, he his songs are like folklore. So he's to me, he's like the current Stompin' Tom Connors in a way where he picks these really catchy subjects and we can all relate to. And so um, he's, uh, through and through, he's a big Cat fan, and... Argo sucked to the point that he even called his latest record Argo suck. And so he um, decided that he wanted to do was just go that extra mile that should the uh, Argos uh, make it to the uh, Grey Cup finals, he is uh, going to invite one of these uh, sort of like satanic wizards or priests to put a hex on the band <laughs> to, or on the, on the team to make sure that they lose the uh, the the Grey Cup should they make it to the finals? Yeah, we don't we don't want to put any hex on the band. That's for sure. They need no, to no, 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 definitely not. <laughs> no. When not when it comes to the the music aspect of this party, talk about the uh, the the acts that you've uh, compiled here for this show. Well, this was a team effort again with uh, B. A. Johnson. A lot of the time, she's the one who curates a lot of the uh, uh, the talent for his shows. And one of the things that he really loves doing is working with uh, Hamilton talent. Um, so Lee Reed is an old friend of uh, B.A. Johnson's, and uh, he's very socially aware uh, uh, with a lot of things that happen in, in Hamilton. He's very Hamilton-centric, and uh, B.A. Johnson always thinks that's a very, very good thing for uh, uh, music fans to uh, be aware of. So uh, Lee Reed uh, decided to do it, as well as a band called Moodlight Desires, which basically is um, a band made up of uh, musicians that are kind of like more of on the heavy metal edge of it, but they do all these 80 ballads and 80 pop songs um, and do it uh, more metalish, so to speak. So it's uh, actually a really interesting band. So all these uh, songs that you know from uh, Gowan and Brian Adams, uh, songs that we've learned uh, over the years that uh, are iconic ballads, these guys just uh, kind of put it through the uh, Moonlight Desires meat grinder and make it a little bit more metal-like. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned the word iconic. So, too, is the Corktown. And uh, the other day, I think it was yesterday, we had Gene Champagne from Gene Champagne and the Unteens, who's going to be playing the Corktown tomorrow in support of Hamilton Food Share. What is it about the Corktown that makes it just a great place to have these sorts of events? Well, you know, uh, it, it starts from the owner, uh, Jim, and it uh, trickles all the way down to their staff. Uh, they're all uh, huge music fans. They support it. 
And uh, before uh, the St. Hollywood, I managed uh, the court town for six and a half years. And uh, it just has an incredible history where uh, it's been hosting music in Hamilton for so long. And uh, Jim and uh, his team right now have dedicated uh, a lot of time and effort to uh, improving that venue uh, to make the whole experience a lot greater. And and, and the other thing that I want to point out is um, there's there's a second floor of the court town as well. So now there's two floors of live music that happen on most weekends. So, you know, it, it, old records never die, they say. And uh, the, the, the court town is legendary and it will live on. And uh, thankfully, uh, again, it, it starts with a, a great owner like Jim, uh, who really believes in a lot of the Hamilton music. This is going to be a lot of fun. One week from tonight at the Corktown, it's the Argo Suck Mega Party featuring B.A. Johnston, Lee Reed, Moonlight Desires. Lou, uh, great job putting this together and uh, good luck with it. Thank you so much. Enjoy your weekend and uh, Argo Suck. You got it. Lou Molinero, instructor at Durham College and the Harris Institute for Music, uh, putting on this, uh, what I think is going to be a pretty entertaining show. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.